Hello and welcome to episode 24 of A Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States. Thank you for joining us. As always, I'm your host, Tim, and I am joined via the wonders of Skype by my co-hosts, Carlo and Lavelle, or by my co-hosts, Lavelle and Carlo. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Morning, you almost screwed up that order. It could have been catastrophic. Vol goes first. <laughs> I, trip, or I go first. I trip over him. We're tripping over each other. Nobody knows. We'll do some housekeeping uh, first before we jump into the episode. Thanks, everybody, for reaching out via Facebook. Wanted to give a shout-out to Axel, who checked in with us from Europe. Good to hear from you, Axel. Thanks. Keep listening. We're glad you're a fan of the show uh, and hope you're doing great. Also, reviews. We've been getting some really nice reviews on all relevant platforms in the podcasting app that I use on Android called Podcast Addict. We have a our subscriber numbers are growing, which is really nice. As we talked about in the last episode, we are going to get another promotion. We're going to get another. Uh, is it a contest? Can we call it a contest? I don't think we can call it a contest. Giveaway. Well, let's call it a giveaway. We're going to get another giveaway going at the end of the summer, kind of a back-to-school celebration. Uh, we'll do another box of models. Uh, and we'll... Oh, I thought it was going to be a backpack full of school supplies. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Your favorite mead trapper keeper with 40K stuff on it. <laughs> okay, now while we're talking about mead trapper keepers covered in 40K stuff, let's quickly divert away from hobby progress and talk about those Funko Pop 40K figures that are either just coming out or have been out for a couple of weeks and I'm late to the party. How do you guys feel about this Funko Pop stuff, the little miniature, uh, chibi-looking, big-headed plastic toys? I'm going to go last. <laughs> so not something that I usually decorate my space with, but I think they're pretty adorable. I don't know. Like, and uh, the Grimdark needs some cuteness sometimes, you know what I mean? <laughs> Probably not. People are going to hate me for that. <laughs> you, you can't have darkness without a little light in there. It needs to be a little contrast, right? Yeah, ex- exactly. That's that's it. That's perfect, Tim, right there. I like them, and I could see I could see it being a good. As soon as I saw the um the unpainted one, because there is one. I think it's just gray, unless it was a joke and I didn't get the joke. Um, but I could see taking that little big-headed space marine and making it really gross and making it really intensely grim dark as kind of a like a painting challenge to do amongst people, which would be kind of fun. Oh, that'd be cool. So like I, a little, you should make like a Nurgle. Yeah, pop. right. Like how terrible, how grimdark can you make this cute little thing? So I'm not really a, a Funko Pop kind of guy, but I do have all of the bad guys from Big Trouble in Little China. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Fun. I was in a. I was in a store. Um, I, I can't remember where it was. It was a small comic book store. And um, not too. It's in Montgomery County. The name escapes me right now. But they had a huge selection. And when I saw Lopan and all his minions, I, you know, I had to scoop them up. It's funny you mention that because the only Funko Pop figure that I own, my brother gave to me, is the glow in the dark Lopan from Big Trouble in China. It's the only one I own. It's in my studio. It's he's super cute. He's got his little finger out and everything. He's great. <laughs> so if I. If I saw a custodies one, I'd grab it. <laughs> all right. All right. So we'll keep our eye out for those. And maybe I'll do a, like a painting challenge on the Facebook. We'll get a couple of those and send them to listeners to try to make them as grim dark as possible. I'll look into that. I'll see if I can get them at uh, Showcase Comics in uh, Old City here in Philadelphia. has a good selection of those. So I wonder if they'll have the 40K ones. I'll have to check. So should we have our listeners uh, reach out to us? Like maybe send us, if you hear this podcast and you want to try that, send us a message. Um, 
and we'll pick like we're not going to send one to everybody, but we'll pick a couple people. And yeah, that's that, that's a great idea. Yeah. We'll, we'll pick five or six folks, and we'll do a little uh, little painting challenge. <laughs> yeah, and if anybody's a, interested, if anybody's interested in Schwanksville, PA, there's a place called New Wave Comics. It's a the guy owns the store. It's a small store. He's great. Him and his wife run it, and they have the largest selection <laughs> ever. I think they're. Uh, you know, stuff's gotten popular, so we'll probably see more of it around. I know they did them for Game of Thrones, I think, right? So yep. they're kind of doing them for every um, hip thing. Let's uh, let's continue with Hobby Progress. Uh, Carlo, why don't you go first this episode? We have a lot of Hobby Progress to catch up on from this last month. Oh, yeah. Uh, I actually did some this time, so we could talk about it. <laughs> Are you doing it right now, though? Are you doing any hobbying while we're on the line? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, not not this. I can go down and grab some. <laughs> no, it's okay. Stuff if you want me to? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, so uh, I did repaint that. Like I finished touching up that little chess piece for uh, Joe's knight that I <laughs> painted upside down when we gave it to him. But uh, I uh, had to strip off the banner because I wrote page um, upside down. So I I like used like a a, a Q tip and put some like IPA on it and just kind of like rub that off. And I didn't think it was going to work too well. I thought I was going to end up having to strip the whole model, but it actually was pretty, made it pretty, pretty easy. And it didn't have any, at least to me, super obvious sign that it was stripped Great. or like inconsistent layers of paint or anything like that. So, and then did you paint on um, fresh primer after you stripped it? So, um, I painted on some like a bad and black and then, I put on, uh, I very slowly built up to a, a bright orange using my airbrush paints, but w- with my brush. So I made, I put like a, a bunch of very thin layers on. And I think that's kind of maybe what helped it. But uh, it ended up coming out. I built, so I made it before it was a little bit darker red. So I wanted to go a little bit brighter to match the page colors. So I made a very bright orange and I highlighted in a, what's the, uh, like I mixed like white with a little bit of orange and that was like my highlight color and then used a micron a point one or point one five or whatever the, the size is micron pen to draw the outline instead of using a, a size zero brush this time and it was a little bit neater yeah that was a trick I learned from fur so shout out to fur you know <laughs> and then uh for freehanding and then uh uh, that came out pretty well. Um, I built, started building a couple of the Tau guys because I wanted to get a kill team going before I went on this uh, bachelor party. We threw a bachelor party for Ian, and it was very game centric. And uh, we we played. A, I didn't get to play any kill team there, but a couple of guys did. Um, and I was trying to build my Tau up before we went, but I didn't really get a chance to put them all together. So I built a couple of the. Uh, I think they're called Fire Warriors. Uh, I didn't start on the Crisis Suits yet. They're pretty cool. Um, I like that you get a couple of drones in that box because drones are so um, uh, centric to how Tau plays this edition, and we'll talk about that later. But uh, I, I enjoyed that. And then the, the last thing I did for High Progress this week was uh, while they were uh, the pl- I had to get some plumbers at my house to fix a, uh, a drain line in my basement. And uh, while they were doing that, I decided to mount um, my TV above my hobby station so I can watch some videos while I'm hobbying. So I got a uh, 
full motion bracket, put it in. It took about 15 minutes. wasn't too bad. Very nice. How about you, Lavelle? What's been up? So I've been doing a couple of things. I, I've um, added some additions to my custodies force. I traded my Tempestus Science Army because I, I don't I like them a lot, but I don't play them, and I wanted to give them to somebody who was going to play them. And he had a, a ragtag custodies force that he was piecing together. So I said, I'll take that off your hands. Um, picked up <laughs> picked up three telemons in that trade, which was Oh, you 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 saw it first. Yeah, if I felt the brunt of that. <laughs> um, in addition, I've been adding to my Anathema Sycana army, the Sisters of Silence. I've been reading a book and learning about them. Um, and I got to tell you, I really think we'll be seeing something big coming from them within the next year. Um, I think it's likely to be a White Dwarf mini codex. There's a lot of things being written about them. And during the Horus Heresy, they played such a critical role, and then they were kind of pushed to the side. And some of the uh, the lore and some of the things that's uh, being written about them is explaining that and trying to wrap them back in with uh, Roboot's return. I, I think we're going to be seeing something. I really like the the way the two armies play together, and I've been really working on that. Um, I have been finishing up my ice board. Um, I've been putting together and gathering the pieces. I, I have a guy named Dave Eber who loves doing terrain. He built my desert board. And um, him and I worked. I, I told him what I was looking for. And I've been building these boards. They're full six by four boards, um, custom terrain. And I've been putting them in the various gaming stores that I play in as a contribution because I go in and I play all the time. I'm not a great modeler and hobbyer, but I can help support the store. I haven't decided where I'm going to put it. Um, my desert board is at Gamer's Heaven, and it gets a lot of play, and people love it. And so I've just finished up my ice board. I'm waiting for my fat mat to come uh, with the ice uh, bottom. And so it's pretty good. I'm, I'm liking it. This is June, and June I'm labeling Kill Team No More Excuses. Nice. I have every <laughs> no more excuses, especially with the elite books that include the custodies. Is no more excuses. I'm dedicated. This is the what is this? The 12th. Before the end of this month, I will have played somewhere between five to ten games of Kill Team. Nice. That's from zero to ten. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it done. So by the time we record our next session, I will have done five to ten games of Kill Team and tell everybody why I suck at it. <laughs> That's a good hobby commitment, Lavelle. I like that. We'll hold you to that one. That's a good one. <laughs> That's right. That's what I'm going to do. I've had a lot of focus on board games. As everybody knows, I'm, I'm a very eclectic gamer. And I've been doing a lot of games, and not 40K related, but two really big board games. I mean, they were expensive that I picked up. Is the new Lord of the Rings Journey to Middle-Earth. Um, and the I picked up the Mage Knight Ultimate Edition, and these are games because you know sometimes when I'm allegedly working, I like to be playing solo games in the background. They play very well solo. Um, I'm still getting into them, and they're um, they're really really good. We're going to talk a little bit more. We've said it several times about Blackstone Fortress, and you know we got that game in. In terms of playing, I've been ramping up my playing time for the past 30 days or so for personal reasons. I haven't been doing a lot of gaming, but I'm getting back into gaming. I played three games that I want to call out here. First, I had my game against you, Tim, yes. which is our Mastrum of War game, which was really, really good. 
I did win the game, but what made the game really, really good for me is the new elements of my custodian armies that I that I picked up. I was a I did I had a huge custodian army, but not enough of the elements to really flesh out like the heavy section, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it, the army went. The army worked very, very well. What, what did you think about it? I thought it was a great game. That was a, that was from the open war deck too. We dealt that one yeah. from the cards, which is really nice. Um, yeah, the, the the cards. You know, the the cards were. There was a fair and balanced way to win the game. I thought, um, and I I think those Telamon dreadnoughts are the secret. You know, a couple of those and enough, uh, you know, enough troops with uh, objective secured to hold objectives. And it's a pretty – it packs a powerful punch. It's not a – you know, there aren't very many models in that army. I mean, I think I had uh, like three times the number of models that you had on the board with my 2,000-point uh, admec list. But uh, you had staying power and you had firepower. And for that particular scenario, it uh, it was a winning combination for you. Yeah. So I, it, it the game the the army worked really really well. It worked the way I had anticipated that it worked. You know, when you design an army, you say it's going to work this way. Then you get on the table and you're like, "What happened?" Yeah. I also play um, a game in Gamers Heaven uh, against a, a lady named Antoinette. Um, she played uh, Harlequins. Um, I don't think it was Janari. I think it was straight Harlequins, and it was a Maelstrom of War game. And, you know, it was a very large game. I think we played 3,000 or 3,500 point, And we started late and we ended up at like 1.30 at night. And I, I, I was not even aware of the time. She won the game by one point. But it was so gripping. It was, it was such a great game. It, and, you know, she enjoyed it so much. She came back with her, her friend Julie. And a, a, a week and a half later, we played another game. game 5,000 points. Uh, two versus one. They had 2,500 points each. I had 5,000 points of custodies, imperial knights, and assassins. Um, we ended up that that last. The first one was Maelstrom. This was open war, and we ended up. Um, I think I won by one point. I won this game, but the interesting thing about the open war and Maelstrom that I want to tell people is, a lot of times, both of those modes of play can overcome. A better player. What I mean by that is it can balance out. If you are a novice player and you're playing against somebody who is a better, more experienced player, both of those deck types of games, they can allow you an even chance of winning. It was both of them. were They were very, very good games. And so I did learn something that I'm going to share. Uh, the uh, In the Blackstone Fortress book, there's a model called an Orgul. And they played that model in 40K. And I thought, well, or ghoul, I shoot them all the time in Blackstone Fortress. It was not that easy. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, when we get to the Blackstone Fortress, I'll talk about that a little bit more. But I was like, wow, that's a pretty good model there. <laughs> so that's my progress. It's been pretty good. I'm, 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 as we're preparing for our next big tournament, which is the Liberty Hammer. Liberty Hammer, Liberty Hammer. Yeah. The um, how did you find the open war deck at a point level that was at that high a point level? Was it good at five thousand points? Do you remember what cards you drew? Or um, yeah, actually, we drew courier, which is you designate somebody and you kill that somebody, and then we drew a um, we drew a card which was um, pick another one, and the other one was um, I can't remember what the other one was. Um, 
kill. It might have been like almost a kill point. And so there were two victory conditions. And I think what happened was, I think that's what it was. I think I'm, I'm wrong. I think we ended up tying because they killed my courier, but I had the victory points. But because they had more power level, I get to pull, pull one ruse. And that ruse was devastating. That ruse was I could bring one unit completely back. And, and they spent the time and they, they totally took out my Castellan. And then on the next turn, I bought it back. It had to be demoralizing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the cards did work really well at that big, at that it, size it of the game. Very that's, well, yeah. That's nice, cool. On my side, I started working on a new army, kind of out of the blue. Um, I got a few boxes of Grey Knights in a trade with somebody, uh, probably six months ago, a long time ago now. And in preparation for Liberty Hammer, which Lavelle and I are playing, the one thousand points each doubles day on Sunday in a couple of weeks. I thought it would be cool to do a silver and gold because I know Lavelle's going to play his golden custodies, and I figured why not uh, why not put some silver on the table to go with them. So I quickly uh, picked up two Dread Knights from my uh, secret miniature supply store down by the Jersey Shore and uh, started them over the weekend. I have two uh, Dread Knights then. Uh, one is going to be played as a Grandmaster Dread Knight, with the crazy uh, greatsword and psi cannon. The other one is just going to be in a heavy slot with, um, I think it's going to be psi cannon and the incinerator, because it's nice to have that big flamer on him. Uh, and then the rest of it, I have a uh, Brotherhood champion, who is a really cool uh, character model in the HQ slot. If you kill him, if, if he is slain in the fight phase, he gets to atta- he gets to pile in an attack before he is removed from play which is kind of cool. He also has two stances he can adopt. Uh, One, if I remember correctly, gives him a plus one to his attacks, and another one gives him plus one to his saves. Uh, He does that at the beginning of every fight phase, which is kind of cool. And the rest of the army is three uh, big squads of the strike squads, and they all have the the Falchions. I think that's how you say it. So they have two swords, so they get plus one attacks. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to giving them a shot. Uh, no transports, because at a 1,000 points, I'm going to try to just gate of infinity them around the table or pay for some uh, the teleportarium uh, tricks that you can pay up front for. Uh, or there's a one command point thing you can do at the start of the game to put somebody up in the uh, teleport chamber. So I might do that. But I'm curious to get a... I'm going to try to get in two games with them before Liberty Hammer. Um, I think the most challenging part of playing that army... F- uh, fresh at a tournament is going to be to remember all the things I can do with the psychic phase and to remember uh, to put my Brotherhood Champion into one of those two stances. I think I'm going to make a little coin, like a little wooden base with a sword on one side and a shield on another and just kind of travel that around the board with him so I remember to flip it when he adopts a new stance because those are just two little between the psychic abilities and that little thing I have to keep in mind. That'll be, uh, those will be, that'll be my challenge for playing a new army at a uh, tournament. Other than that, I've last week I spent a couple of hours on my Wrath of Kings army. Lavelle and I got a game in at the battle level, which is the largest and I think most common way to play Wrath of Kings. We had a great game. Uh, Lavelle, you won that game if I remember correctly, but it was it was close. So I have two two more models to paint for that army, and then I have to base everything, and then that'll be done, which I'm, I'm looking forward to having that wrapped up. I wound up really getting into those models. There's lots of little bits of humor in them. There's you know, to, to look at them first blush, they're just, they're, some people really aren't into how those models are built or designed, but then as I got 
closer to them and started painting them, there's a lot of little detail and nuance and humor, and especially in the flying pigs that the uh, Technus army has access to. There's some there's some good bits in there, so I'm looking forward to finishing that up. Tim, when we first played that game, you won because I forgot some basic things, and I was able to get back to basics because there's an element of that game around activation and order economy, um, and I tried to stick closer to that, and I, I was really outplayed our first game. It's a really good game, and we really did enjoy it, and I, if I remember correctly, I barely won the next game, so we're having a lot of time playing, good time playing that. Yeah, it is It is really good, especially at that size. Well, you know, obviously there's more models on the table. There's more ways to win. There's more to pay attention to. It never felt slow. You know, once you get into the rhythm of rolling those dice and checking the defense stats on the target's card and everything, it really, it has a nice feel to it, a nice flow. It's a nice kind of a it's a really nice system. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that I'm getting into that, and I'm glad that you've been into it for a while. So it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a stretch to find somebody to play with, which was nice. <laughs> hey, I want to go back for a second to our conversation about the um, your, your comments about the Grey Knights. When you bought the Grey Knights and said, "Hey, we're going to team up with the Grey Knights," I was like, eh, "Okay, it's not really a thematic match, but let's go with it." But then I want to read what in this book that I'm reading, Watchers of the Throne: The Emperor's Legion. I just two paragraphs. Let me read it to you. And it's a custodies. He he. One of the custodies, the shield captain, is saying this. We always knew of their existence. There are records held privately in the depths of our archives, which chronicle their creation. We, we watched 10,000 years ago as he embarked on his great gambit. As the great enemy drew close to terror, we observed the darkening of Saturn's moon and knew that one day it would return, its purpose fulfilled. Consider what this, what this history means. We know that they came after us, the more junior creation, and yet they were as closely associated with him as we were. We both, we, both of us looked to him and him alone as our progenitor, and share the same sense cultivated over the waning eons that we enact his design when all other falter. That's terrific. (laughs) Look, man, I was stunned. So here's the thing that I always ask. Who is their Primarch? They don't have a Primarch. They do not. yeah, the the Emperor created them. Yeah, if if anybody, it's Malkador, but he doesn't have any gene information to contribute to them but Malkador put the Grey Knights together from the Knights Errant at the end of the heresy yes that was all wrapped up that, that's a great little reading Lavelle it's and it, it as I was going through the codex you know it's not a big codex so I was able to kind of get get into it uh, in the last week or so uh, sort of in line with what you just read there's this thing in the codex on page nine I'm reading the terminus decree and I won't read the whole thing it's three paragraphs but so there's a wooden box in on Titan Deep within the chambers of purity, it's called, and uh, written written upon ancient par- parchment in this box is the instruction known only as the Terminus Decree. Now, only a, gra- a supreme grand master of the Grey Knights knows how to open the box, and he's only allowed to open it when the future of humanity seems lost. So it's never been opened, right? And the the exact nature of the document is unknown. The only clue to its contents lies in the box's golden seal. It is whispered that it is the exact match of another seal found only in one place in all the Imperium's, Imperium's many scattered worlds, the Emperor's Golden Throne. So there's a symbol on this wooden box with a piece of parchment in it that matches a symbol that's on the golden throne. I thought that was pretty cool. And, and it's it, probably it, just a note that says run. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the towel. 
<laughs> it says for the it says for the greater good or something like that. <laughs> That's terrible news. But yeah, I think visually it'll be cool to have a silver and gold uh, doubles force on the table. And I, you know, there are a lot of narrative. I, you know, there's a lot of narrative crossover. I think. I think it'll be fun. And for me, it'll be as I said, it'll be a nice challenge to have a very psychic heavy army because I've never had. You know, I've had one or two psychers in my Space Marines armies, but never, uh, never every unit casting psychic abilities and with command points two psychic abilities in addition to smite. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. I had a bunch of uh, bunch of games. I had my league game uh, versus Carl from Basement War Gamers. Uh, that was an awesome game. He's a he's a very good, very competitive tournament player. Um, he won, I think, by six or seven points. But we had it was my first time playing Carl. Great guy, great attitude. Uh, we had a, we had a, it was super fun. Had a good game at uh, Red Caps uh, versus Carl. I played two thousand points. Uh, that was Admech versus Alpha Legion. Uh, that was TJ's Alpha Legion army. It was two thousand points. A lot of models on the table. We just played um, six objectives and end game scoring. So we, you know, just kind of played it loose, and fast and loose. Had a really good time. I think TJ won, if I recall correctly. And uh, as Lavelle mentioned, he and I had an open war uh, game of Admech versus the Custodies at 2,000 points. Um, and again, the open war deck proved to be a nice way to just pick a game. You know, if you're feeling indecisive as to whether you want to do Maelstrom of War, Eternal War missions, uh, just you know, th- throw a couple of those cards out, and it was a nice, a nice way to get a game going quickly. And what was nice, Lavelle, we got through four turns in under two hours for two thousand points. I thought that was pretty good. And then we dove, we jumped well, right into, nice. we we played pretty quickly, and it was you know the mission was straightforward enough where we weren't bogged down with much, and we got it done, which was really nice. After I finish up this Grey Knight's Force real quick, I don't know if I'm going to add very much to it beyond 1,000 points. It might just be a nice 1,000-point force that I just put in the battle foam and play a couple times a year. But um, I do have Primaris stuff that, I'm, that I have built, and I have begun to paint. A lot of it's almost done. I have uh, a bunch of interse- intercessors. I have some aggressors. I have uh, two new dreadnoughts and uh, a bunch of... Uh, the scout guys to build and paint. So I'm, I'm coming around to adding Primaris Marines into my Iron Hands and Space Marine Force, and we'll see. Again, in keeping with me playing losing armies, the Iron Hands, you know, not the best choice for Space Marine chapters at this point in Eighth Edition. Gray Knights, <laughs> Gray Knights. I think, I think, I, I think Gray Knights. I think Gray Knights are considered like the worst codex out there right now. Like they're not not a very competitive book. Yeah, but, I was um, like Tim. Tim wants to wants to start winning games, and then the next week you're like, I'm making a Grey Knights army. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> but no. they look, I mean, they're going to look great. So. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. I really like the idea of them with the custodies. I think that's going to be a really cool looking um, combination on the on the table. So yeah. uh, I can't wait to see some pictures of that. Yeah, I hope it works out well. I did, um, I'm reposing the Dread Knights. I don't know if I mentioned that already earlier. But, uh, I, you know, the Baby Carrier Dread Knights with the Baby Bjorn uh, Terminator on the front. Um, you know, the, the the pose is super, super static. It's like the stock Contemptor Dreadnought pose where it's just kind of standing there. Um, so yesterday, it was a lot harder than I thought, but I cut... You know, I pre-built kind of the internal structure, the skeleton of the of each of them, and I cut all the cables off, and I made a bunch of cuts into the joints with the hobby saw and everything, and uh, I did reposition the legs with some great green stuff, which as of this morning has been fully cured, so I'm going to work on them this afternoon. Uh, it was not easy to get them into better poses, and the, the biggest problem I'm having is reposing the, uh, you know, the Grey Knight, uh, the baby, you know, because those... 
there's very little, art, you know, no articulation in uh, Terminator bodies. So I had to cut the entire Terminator body apart. Um, and I may, typically there's like these two little BMX bicycle pedals that the, that the Grey Knights feed are on to control the thing. But I think I'm going to have to replace those pedals with uh, uh, cables to, to act as, as the Grey Knights connection to the legs of the thing. Um, I think I'll do that this afternoon to use, I'll use some kind of a paracord or maybe some, um, I have some bass guitar strings sitting around that I might bend into shape so that his connection is a little bit more fluid with the, uh, you know, with the frame of, of the thing itself. We'll see how it turns out. We'll take a short break. We'll come back. Section two, welcome scouts. We're talking about Blackstone Fortress. Stay with us. Section two, Welcome Scouts. The subtitle of this Welcome Scouts section is Let's Play a Boxed Game. Uh, Lavelle's really into board games. I'm into board games as much as I have time to be. Uh, Lavelle, we didn't talk about this in section one, but Mage Knight is a terrific board game. I didn't know that that you had that, but it is a terrific board game. Yeah, you know, I um for my birthday, um, I got the ultimate box, um, which had everything in it, and I had watched it on um, a couple of YouTube playthroughs, and it, you know, when I got it, I started organizing it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a militant card sleever, <laughs> so I'm waiting. I'm waiting for more sleeves to arrive before I actually. It's it plays really well solo too. I've only ever played that game in a one person by myself, and it's it's a it's a good game. The whole night and the whole light and dark cycles, the day and night cycle thing, it happens, and that's a. It's in, it's intense. There's a lot to lot to manage with that game. Even playing solo takes up the entire dining room table. But it's uh, it's a good time though. Good, good. Yeah, um, cool. So let's today we're talking about Blackstone Fortress, a boxed game by Games Workshop. Uh, we were at the Games Workshop preview event. I guess it was at Nova last year. Was it when they announced Blackstone Fortress, or am I getting that wrong? Might have been um, Adepticon last year. Or something. I think it was no, two it, years. No, ago. it was Nova. It was. Definitely Nova last year Nova because last year. that's when uh, um, the guy from uh, Turn Signals on a Land Raider was there, the artist for that. Um, the, uh, they had announced Orcs. Right. Right. In the, uh, right, that's right. In the uh, conference room there. Sure. And we had gone down together, right? That's right. Yes, they so, were talking about Orktober because yeah. uh, Nova was in September. That's right. Cool. Right. And then they released the Blackstone Fortress. I remember everybody shouting for that because i think um you i think who who had said it that they they wish they had like a warhammer quest version of 40k like yeah. that day and then we went down there and like, <laughs> exactly that, that's that's what i was yeah. going to mention yeah because I, I was i'm definitely late to the party on warhammer quest and silver tower and there's another one hammer hall something or other for uh, aos those kind of boxed games that are in in, in that world uh, but the the notion of the old Warhammer Quest, which was kind of this sprawling dungeon crawler board game that they had a lot of expansions for and people developed characters for that they carried through the game, it looked like a really great mix of role-playing, miniature playing, and uh, board gaming 
which is you know right up my alley, like a light RPG, light miniature, heavy board game kind of mixture. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think we were talking that day, Carlo. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was something in the 40k setting that was that kind of a system that could kind of change and grow, and you could you could move single characters through and grow with the characters and level them up, etc. And then, bam, Blackstone Fortress was dropped on our lap. It was released several months after uh, Nova last year, so I guess it came out early in 2019, if I remember correctly, maybe the end of. No, I think it was the fall. It was late fall, uh, 2018, when it came out. Um, we've gotten in several games. Last week, uh, it was the first time that the three of us, plus Adam at Redcaps, so it was four of us playing, um, and we had a we had a really good two game session of Blackstone. I think what we did was exactly how the game should look and feel on the table. Um, Lavelle's brought his, Lavelle brought his miniatures. They were all well painted. They looked great. We put out the uh, a Star Wars. Uh, neoprene playmat so that our our tiles for our combat uh, arrangements of the board uh, looked really good over the starry night of a uh, you know kind of a, a galaxy Star Wars X-wing kind of background. It did t- you know I I didn't notice it until we were well into our second game, but we did take up I think like twelve feet by four feet of <laughs> table <laughs> space. Oh yeah. If you if you count if you if you take into account. Like our bags and you know a soft drink here and there and, and you know Carlo you'd brought a bag of chips and whatnot. It is a sprawling game. Not only is the Blackstone Fortress itself pretty big, but playing the game based in that Blackstone Fortress gets pretty big too. As we were playing, I was thinking, wow, even with both leaves in my dining room table, I don't think we could have played this at my house. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I think we could have conserved space a little bit better for sure, um, but. Uh... You know what it yeah, was it, when we started. We were the only ones there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it started to feel claustrophobic when the usual Thursday Thursday night forty uh, k crowd showed up, and we were taking up basically a table and a half of uh, of forty k space. So yeah, we could have consolidated a bit, but having that kind of room and having four people gathered around that large of a table, uh, you know, at one point, Lavelle, you know, we, let's dive into this now. At one point, you said this game is great because everybody's doing something every step of the way. Which I really like. I, I really like that part of Black Zone Fortress. Like we all kind of picked things to do, whether it was reading the enemy stats or rolling the uh, rolling the bad news dice for the enemy, or, or you know, there was always something for everyone to be doing, regardless of what phase of play we were in. Which made it really good. And the, and the last couple of turns flew by because by that point we knew what we needed to roll, we knew what the bad guys needed to roll, and it was just it was really fast and furious, which made made it a hell of a lot of fun. Well, you know, the other thing that I, I – the more people you play with, the better it is. Yeah, I, I did find that, and people were picking <laughs> – you know, see, when, between adventures, you can switch which character you play. And so when Adam switched out the guy with the flamethrower, we were like, well, why'd you do that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Even> now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the whole, the whole respawning of the, uh, of the enemies thing is pretty amazing. Uh, that, that that dice, when you roll it as to whether or not the, the reinforcement dice, when you roll that, that's pretty intense. I mean, that could really sway things in a bad direction if you get one, two, three on that dice. Yeah, definitely. Like, and then they all, it's almost like always they all, the whole unit comes back, right? No more than their starting force, but. Yeah, I think yeah. because, because we had picked cards, we had picked the, uh, the small model cards. Chances are when you roll poorly on that reinforcement dice, a bunch of small models are going to come back, which, uh, which makes for yeah. interesting scenarios. Yeah. Let me let me tell you some things that I, I after that last some some points I want to put out. 
first, and I, I learned this, label your rule books, especially if you're going to have multiple <laughs> people playing with rule books. Just label your rule books, just something so that you know if, in case you're playing multiple copies of it. I'm big on this next one. Organize your box, sleeve your cards, and create quick reference sheet. I, I don't know where I got that quick reference sheet that I have in my bag. I have it in the sheet protector. I'm not in my bag, my box. And you can pass that around, and it summarizes the rules so people can look at it and not have to go through the full rule book as they're kind of making their decision before their activation comes up. Yeah, that's great. It it does really help to have multiple copies of those book, and I did find my yeah. I did find my precipice book by the way, so that was yours that we had at the store, cool. and I have since labeled all my books with TD on the back of them. Yes. <laughs> so the other thing I want to put I want to say right here is the 40k models that Orgul model, it costs 15 points in 40k, has an eight inch move, a three plus weapon skill, strength four, and it has four attacks, but on the charge, it gets two extra attacks. And it has a five-up and vulnerable save. He, this guy got on my shield, Captain. At first, I was like, what's it going to do? But then he was rolling six dice. I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> you know, anything can happen here. Um, so it's a pretty good model. And the book, when you buy it, it comes with um, what you need to play the models in 40K. And I thought that, that that's a lot of value in that box set right there. I want to talk about the, the, and we talked a little bit about it, the GW model case that you can buy. Oh, yeah, the one with the uh, accordion phone. Yeah, you're not a fan, you said. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Not just because of that, but because if you buy the base set, just the base set, and you buy that case, those models can't all reasonably fit in that case. That didn't make sense to me. It's just not big enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, right. Um, I do want to say that there's a lot of expansions also coming out. I haven't bought any expansions yet, and I, I am going to get them, including in the June 2019 White Dwarf, there's supposed to be another scenario expansion. Um, I haven't seen that White Dwarf yet. I'll be picking that up. But there's supposed to be a scenario expansion that goes with that. And, um, Tim, if we could put this link out, there's a 3D terrain. It's pretty good that you can use to to um, to augment your play. I like miniatures, even on board games. I like things that bring a 3D nature to it. Um, and so, you know, when we, we have the different portals and one of them is going to turn into the elevator to get us the heck out of there. Yes, nice. And they have a portal <laughs> door. It's pretty nice. I, I have a link there, so if we could share that. Uh, it's... it's um, it's a different way to experience the 40 gay universe. It's fun. It's interactive. Um, I, I got it. I like the I like the production qualities and everything. But it, it turned out to be, and I played my game a couple of times solo and thought, man, this is really really hard. Yeah. But when I played it with people, expect, all of us think, no, don't go there, go there, stick together, stick together. It it, it becomes really different. Yeah, you a really lot of fun. It's really hard to like go off on your own in that game. You really have to stay at least with one other person. Because you just get swarmed really quickly. It's true. If that if you roll that one, two, or three, Mm-mm. yeah, you got bad news. Yeah, the uh, I'm looking at the the May White Dwarf right now, in which there is a new there are some new rules for Blackstone Fortress. This is adding a fifth player as the hostile player. This is hostile threat detected. It's on page 120 of the May 2019 White Dwarf. So this is a fifth player. It replaces pages of the main rule book so that a fifth player can be a more involved uh, hostile player, which is super cool. Um, 
there's all manner of things that he can do or she can do in the activation phase. Uh, there's a whole explanation of playing with these rules. So it's a couple of pages here on just new stuff for Blackstone, which is awesome. And Lavelle, you had talked about this last episode, how impressed you were recently with what White Dwarf had been doing. Between this in the May 2019 White Dwarf, and forgive me if I mentioned it last episode, but I haven't gotten the June issue yet, but the whole um, Unari Codex, the mini Unari Index that's in this book is is really good. And, and the way that they're introducing new stuff for all their game systems using White Dwarf I think is super smart. And I hope they do continue to put more stuff for Blackstone in future issues. The Dreaded Amble expansion, 60 bucks. First, I was miffed at it that it was a single model expansion. Turns out there's two very small models that come with the big, cool-looking Amble model. And you do get uh, some new cards for each of the decks for Blackstone Fortress and some new tiles and whatnot. So so I, th- I think I think I will get that expansion at some point to add to our games. But uh, but you know, future expansions, 60 bucks. Like, I guess that's it's just a little higher than industry standard for board game expansions. But... Uh, yeah, that's, pretty right for GW though. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that that's pretty par, that's par for <laughs> the course. Yeah. Yeah. Par for the course. What you got to process when you look when you think about it as a as an expansion. It's an expansion for two games, Fortress, and it's an expansion for Forty K. Because in that game I played, they had two dreaded ambles, and they were uh, so- a problem. I wanted to step it back a little bit. So in Blackstone Fortress, since I'm not super familiar about the rules, you are limited to max four players currently? No, five. Five? Okay. Five, yeah, five players. And those five players are, and, and the way this plays is, those. I think those five players right now are all um, explorers. And so, Tim, Tim, are you sure that six, it's not a six player who controls the... This is for the fifth player taking on the role of the hostile player. Okay. Yeah. This, but is, how so many, this is specifically um, for the fifth. Yeah. How many uh, characters are there right now? Playable characters. Um, one, there two, three, are, four, five, I, six, seven, eight. There are eight playable characters. That's then two, two of the twins, the rattling twins. But eight, eight so, playable, eight playable characters. Yeah. What What's stopping you from? Having an eight-person game is it just balance? Like not enough? Like the game can't keep up with the amount of uh, you know creatures it releases. I think upon how, you, I, I think how it's intended. I think it's intended to be a four-player good guy game. You can control you know two uh, explorers each, which ratchets up the number of cards you draw for hostiles. And the fifth player, um, I think the fifth player is always going to control the hostiles. I think. Oh, so you're supposed to control. And let me two say guys this: I don't think. Listen, eight players can't fit in the elevator. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Good point. Where are they all going to go? <laughs> we take two trips. Right. Now. So. I'll get the next one. That's a good point. Yep, I'll get the next one around. That's funny. Yeah. Another cool thing that comes with the Amble expansion is another. I'm a sucker for this kind of thing. It's another secret card of narrative information in a sealed envelope. Just like in the Blackstone game, there's that special card inside a sealed envelope, and there's one that comes with the Amble, which I guess is the you know the the loot that you find after you kill the thing. You get another little secret, whatever. I'm, totally into that which is why i should probably get it <laughs> i like that idea the secret like one-time use envelopes definitely in the board game it's yes, pretty cool definitely 
Another cool, I, as Lavelle alluded to earlier, I do like the fact that all these models have 40k rules. I'm looking at the data sheets book now for uh, for um, uh, Blackstone Fortress. I like I like the fact that there's a cool navigator character you can throw in here. The navigator model looks awesome. It's got the great like Aquila shaped headpiece on, and his third eye cover is there. And the models are really great. Um, I like these. I know Lavelle does too. These like uh, forces of the Imperium style characters, you know, like all the assassins and all these random things that you can put into a kind of a mishmash, almost inquisitorial warband type of army. Um, I think it adds a lot and you know, a lot of rules to manage because each one is kind of its own little miniature index. But but there's some there's some cool things you can do with these in 40k. Hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, I've I've always kind of wanted to build a, an army that's like just characters and like a single model units like that mm. sort of. You know, just get a bunch of assassins and put throw some inquisitors in there, and then keep going. Almost like a like a kill team so, army versus a regular forty k army. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I would do horribly. <laughs> it would definitely it would definitely be like the worst army ever. But <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Some of those some of those models can really put out a lot of firepower though. Yeah, but sure. dealing with hordes would be ooh, not great. Yeah. What what else were your takeaways from playing those two games, Carlo? So um, I really enjoyed that you could just sit back and play one model because. 40k, you really get a really get a chance to do anything like that, right? Kill team, you still have about eight guys you have to manage. So it was nice, kind of, kind of sitting back, focus. It was less kind of stressful than 40k is, which I really like. Um, you were playing with your friends instead of against them, which is always, I think, you know, 40k is fun, but I think it's more fun to be playing a cooperative game than against each other sometimes, just because the natural you know competitiveness that arises in 40k with um the um game was really easy to pick up you know and that's partly because you guys were sitting there reading the rules for me basically like (laughs) (laughs) explaining the game to me you know you guys have played it before but um i thought it was you know it's not it's not overly complicated it's not like like if you gave me a 40k army and i'd never played before even with you there sitting explaining the rules it would take me all day to learn, right? Where like this, you could just like jump in, play right away. It's really great. Um, I, I played Esper and Locarno that day, and he was. I I was like, oh, this guy, you know, he doesn't look like he's very powerful. He's gonna got the headdress on. He's probably like some noble jerk, you know. But uh, he's actually like a pretty, pretty sick astropath, right? That's what he is, right? An astropath, uh, navigator, so, <laughs> yeah, navigator. So. Um, he, you know, he could put up a, a defensive barrier, which I really like. So I was kind of following you guys around and protecting you the whole time. And then, uh, he actually, his range attack was pretty powerful doing, um, when I, when I got inspired, he was doing like two of the D8s, uh, and damage at like at range, which is pretty powerful. So, um, and like, so I don't know if we explain how the game works to people, but if you kill somebody... If you like, so when when you deal damage to a creature, it, it it's either one or two little damage symbols, right? And if it's one, it's just one damage, and if it's two, it's like three, right? Correct. Yeah, because so, double double symbols is considered a critical hit. Yes. Right. So crits really push the make the game move. You know what I mean? Because you start you'll you you start wiping guys out, and then you start. Uh, getting a chance to earn your inspiration, which really makes you 
um, a very powerful force on the board. So I think once we started all turning over our, our cards to the inspiration side is when we started really um, like moving through that map very quickly. And then um, the uh, I thought it was really interesting how you take damage. I'm not in love with it um, because the more damage you take, the more difficult it gets, right? So if you start getting swarmed and you take a damage early on, the game can really go downhill very quickly, right? Especially if you take a Grievous Wound, because you can't heal that. So you're only throwing three dice at that point or whatever, and each damage you take, you throw less dice, so it becomes increasingly more difficult to come back from that, which I'm not a fan of. But I thought it was very interesting how they did that. So I'm kind of uh, torn in that regard. It does make the threat level feel like it gets more intense as the game progresses. Because it does get so difficult to do things after you get injured, it's very much like the vehicle damage table in 40k, right? Where it becomes harder to move and harder to hit things as your vehicle takes more damage. It's very much like that in Blackstone Fortress, where your options of what you can do with the dice that you're rolling at the beginning of each turn uh, really goes downhill if you get wounded, especially with the Grievous Wound, which can't be healed until you get back to Precipice at the end of this particular combat round that you're in. Um, So you can get... You know, things can turn really quickly and become very difficult to pull stuff off, which is why, you know, Lavelle, to your earlier point, the game is very difficult because if you take a grievous wound early, you know, there's you're going to have a hard time getting back on top. And it does speak to how intense it would be to, you know, this is the narrative side of the game, which I really like. It does really convey the feeling of this small party walking in this massive, cavernous, dark space, you know, potentially surrounded by bad guys at every turn. You're not sure what's around the next corner. You're not sure what's going to be uh, reinforced with the next reinforcement role. So it, it does give the, you know, while, while your characters can feel very powerful to a point, uh, you know, it, it does make it fairly intense, you know, with, with the right group, which we were lucky to have that day when we were playing. It did feel, it had a very good thematic flavor to the game. It was really, it was, it's tight. That's true. It really does force you to play cautiously. Yes. I have to say that that is a good point. It does make you do that, which is, is really nice. Um, uh, to our listeners that haven't played the game, a grievous wound is unable to be healed. So that is something that stays on your character until I think the mission's over and you get back to precipice, right? Right. So, you can heal okay. it at precipice, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, does it auto heal a precipice, or do you have to take a specific action to heal? No, it? you have to. You have to. You have to roll to heal that wound. Um, Lavelle, correct me if I'm wrong, but you do have to roll when you get back to precipice. And Absolutely. I think, I think, I think I did not. One of us did automatic. not. Yeah, one of us did not heal a grievous wound when we were back to precipice. So I think one of us has a still has a limited number of dice next time we play. I think it's me. <laughs> no, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I yeah, think, there was one point where you had three wounds on you, and yeah. I was like, well, Tim's gonna. Uh, <laughs> I can't do anything. I, like, no. I can't do anything. I was like swinging my crozius with no luck. <laughs> well, you ran up in true like priest fashion and was like, "Die, beast man!" That's and you right. were like, "We were all like back in the elevator still. Like, where are you going, Tim?" <laughs> I was feeling. I was feeling the emperor's zeal. The emperor's zeal was upon me. I was all about it. I was striding into battle with nothing but faith to protect me, and it did not. <laughs> Speak, priest. It it did not. Yes. Um, Lavelle, I I just saw the link, Lavelle, for the uh, tabletopterrain.shop, which has the 3D printed uh, uh, tokens and whatnot for Blackstone. I think that looks awesome. I think that's totally worth getting. Yes. (laughs) 
He said, yes, do that right away. Yes, let me, yeah. let me see how much that is. I, did, I didn't see the prices, though. Let's check it out. Oh, for, Go cure them for us. 40, $45 for the set. Yeah, that's that's not too crazy. We need to just open a temp, like a, a token company. Tokens are always, you can always make money off of them. Yeah, templates, woof. After 7th to 8th switch, I was like hurting for those template companies. <laughs> I felt real bad for them. It's true. But, yeah, uh, it's true. yeah tokens. Mm-hmm. You can always make money off of them. That's cool. Whatchamacallit, uh, I, I really like the um, initiative. Like, hey, you just shuffle the cards and just bam, 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 bam. And then you can gambit yes. to go up yes. if you want. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So in the game, you can uh, sacrifice one of your... Uh, D6s. So every turn you get four, you roll them to see uh, what um, you get. So you get usually like you have specific abilities that can only be cast on like a four, five, or six, or whatever. Um, so it, when you roll your D6s, you get so you get like a one, a six, a four, a three. Um, you can pick one of those dice, roll it. And I think you have to get a what, Tim? A f- four or higher? Correct. Yes, correct. Okay, so if you get a four or higher, fifty percent chance you can jump in an initiative order. Or no, no, no. You roll a uh, crit die. That's what it is. So right. You just you spend. Get a crit. Right. You mm-hmm. spend an action dice, mm-hmm. and then you roll a um, your, a um, die um, that is specific to your dexterity. Yes, that's dice it. type that's listed it. on your character's card. That's it. Right. And then um, if you get a hit. You move. You switch places with the closest enemy in the initiative order. Yes. If you get a crit, you can jump to wherever you want. Right. So it's really nice because you can you can jump to the front of line and throw an enemy mob at the at the back end, or you can you know just switch with the closest one if you want. And then like I know a lot of times we were in advers- we wanted them to come to us, right? So right. especially when um, Adam's character was laying down that firewall. Yeah, and we we would choose to maybe you know maybe this time we're not going to gambit. Maybe we're just going to let them come to us, walk into the fire. So especially like when they don't have line of sight, they want to walk towards you and charge. Yeah, at some point we really needed everyone to gambit because the that initiative track was like bad, 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 good, 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 and it was we, one of us was really injured and we were kind of spread out, so we it really came in. We needed everybody to gambit successfully, and it and it worked. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I, I, I think the ship gives you the ability to just like auto gambit right or that's, something. that's right i was just going to mention that how i was just going to mention how i really liked the interactivity between the ships and the players during the game i have the ship cards here at my desk uh for instance the one that i had used i was playing the uh uh the pious or thaddeus the purifier um so at one point during the game at the start of the gambit step of the initiative phase, the leader can use Clarion's infrawave loud, infrawave loud hailers. They do so in that gambit step. Each can, each explorer can perform a gambit without having to spend an activation dice. So you can try to gambit without paying for it, which is really nice. That's because my ship is the Clarion, which I can call to for support while we are in the Blackstone Fortress. And all players have something special that their support ship uh, allows them to do and the ship cards are cool because in support mode they're used they're usable in the game and then flip them over for use in the um, the precipice uh, part of the game where they become your facilities so you can do things 
uh, with your ship while you're back on precipice to which your ship is docked. And you can also use your ship for the support it can lend while you are inside the fortress. Really, really neat part of the gameplay mechanic that we, we, we really got into the second game because I, I don't think we were really fully aware of what the potentials were there uh, during the first game. But in our second Yeah, I don't think we used it the first round at all. And then somebody was like, oh, wait. We have these. <laughs> we should be using the support ships. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no wonder that was so hard. Even with yeah, just two mops. <laughs> yeah, they they so came. We're in, just they came in here alone. We need help. Yeah. <laughs> that was section two. Welcome, scouts. Hope you enjoyed our coverage of Blackstone Fortress. We'll be back with tactical upload in just a moment. Welcome back. Section 3, Tactical Upload. Lavelle had to jump off the line for a work call quick, so Carlo and I will handle this one. Tactical Upload this week is all about the Tau. I'm calling this section, wait for it, great pun coming up, the Game of Drones. Question mark? Oh, we're going to get sued. Never mind. Yep, yep. We've got to pay for that, Carlo. <laughs> so, Tau in 7th edition... I feel like we're gangbusters at the end of 7th edition, right? There was they were super powerful, there were a lot of people playing them. They were, you know, really fun to play, not so much fun to play against because of all the crazy shooting they could do and marker lights and everything and a lot of great Forge World stuff was around. It was super cool, really powerful. They were winning tournaments, etc. But I feel like in 8th edition, the kind of the Tau story has changed. Um, during 7th edition of the game, there was a lot of narrative additions for the Tau. There was the whole Kaoyan campaign series, which added a lot of story for them. Uh, but it's, it's been kind of quiet on the narrative front for the Tau in 8th edition. It's been, despite the fact that there are a couple of Black Library short story collections, or Black Library short stories, I think, by Andy Smiley uh, that are about the Tau. But big narrative additions to the game haven't really happened that I'm aware of. Uh, Not a lot of new firepower, a couple of points changes here and there. Um, From what I've been reading online and from the people that I've been able to ask about it, it is still largely a game of drones. Um, Unbeknownst to me, Carlo, you had started to build a kill team force based on the Tau, and you're going to expand that into a proper 40k army. What is your take um, as somebody who's new and uh, new new to Tau and excited about the Tau, what, what's your take on them in Eighth Edition? So uh, I'll get started by saying, like I've always wanted Tau. Like if I could go back and start over, um, I still would have built a Space Wolf Force, but I feel like Tau would have been where I started. Right. So um, I just like the whole look of it. I'm a big Gundam fan, so I love like the anime robot kind of theme. I know a lot of people don't in 40k because it's scrub dark, but um, I, I, I kind of enjoy that, that theme. And, um, I'll say that tower, you know, they are in a really weird spot right now because they're one of those armies that if you face it casually can seem really good and really overpowered. But if you see it in a tournament setting, a lot of the guys that are really, you know, like a lot of the experts at the game can easily dismantle a tower force. They really know how to do it. Right. So, um, and, you know, they build their lists around 
kind of taking out horde armies and chaff and stuff and tau you know their strength right now is battle suits with drone cover right so they can allocate wounds um basically like you shoot at a tau with a battle like a riptide or the waz cannon it can roll a d6 and pass that wound off to the to the shield drone and make it one damage basically it's just basically like a mortal wound save i think um so that can be really frustrating to play against as a casual player because if you don't know how to deal with that you know by shooting the drones first and maybe you don't you didn't bring enough bolters or whatever you know it can be really frustrating to try and shoot all those drones off the table before you take care of the the riptides and the broadsides etc um but you know, as a competitive uh, competitive players, will you know they know how to surgically remove those threats from the battlefield. So I think it's one of those armies that's in a weird spot because you know it still has, like you said, people still feel disdain for them because they were so good at the end of seventh. But at the point right now, they're like kind of like a decent mid tier army. So um, a lot of people still play them, but you know they aren't um, a super overpowered force like they were before so i think um and it's you know, it's kind of like there's kind of like a stigma on them still for, so like a lot of people are hesitant to get into playing that army because people are so uh you know they were rubbed the wrong way about them in seventh right so that might be one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of um like narrative stuff coming out for them i'm not sure how that attitude affected tau sales you know what i mean i'm sure yeah. it didn't that much but that could be one of the reasons yeah it certainly um, would be a factor yeah right. and they do seem really well suited to kill team the tau and i wonder if like i wonder if it's not selling really well for in in, in the kill team world yeah i mean they're a shooty army right so uh i haven't played them in kill team yet so i can't actually attest to that but um I haven't even seen them on the board at all for Kill Team. I've only played about 20 Kill Team games total, but I haven't ever played against Tau. So I'm wondering what their viability is in Kill Team. You know, a lot of times that changes drastically between the mini games and 40k, right? Like Shadow War effectiveness of uh, units was way different in uh, in that game than it was in 40k at the time, right? Yeah, right. A whole different thing. Yeah. mm -hmm. So um, it's really hard to take a, a comparison um, based off of that. But uh, I, th- I think it'd be interesting to use them. Now, I think one of the things that makes Tau hard to play and hard to play against, I think, is they're such a static army. Uh, they really want to stay in one place and shoot, right? So as a, as a 40K player... Like I think one of the most like movement phase is a really fun phase, right? Moving your guys around the around the battlefield and taking these uh, advantageous positions over your opponent, and that's like part of the strategy of the game. And you know, Tau being so static, uh, you really don't get to do that that much unless you build your you really like understand how your army works and build your army around it because Riptides. You know, they have the fly keyword, right? So they're really, you know, you could jump those things up and down off of stuff and shoot them, and um, uh, it could be a very uh, tactically wise choice to do that, to move them out of the line of fire and bring them back up and stuff. And the uh, 
the commanders can fly across the table really quick, and the um, I think crisis suits can deep strike if I'm not mistaken. I'll, I'll have to double check that, but uh, yeah, there's you can play them in a mobile fashion, and I've seen people do that. Like Carl, uh, yeah, in our area is really good at playing them as a as a mobile force. So um, I think if like that's like kind of the one thing they have to, to fix about them is make them a little bit better at moving around. And I think you'll see more people playing them again, and more attention on them. Did some of that happen with the points rebalancing and making like their crew friends a little bit more attractive to take? Because I know some of their ancillary forces like the crew um, are a little bit more mobile or a little bit more close combat oriented, still low toughness, but um, you know, still, you know, not as static and not as just kind of encampment shooting style play. Right. I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't know much about the crew. Um, I know that they were at the beginning of eighth kind of phased out a little bit. Like they almost, you know, it's almost never, um, at, at the beginning of eighth, it was never good to take crew, right? Points wise. So, and I also heard that the models are a little bit harder to find. I'm not sure how true that is, but, um, the, uh, uh, did they take a points drop in chapter proofs? I do believe that they did. I'll look that up, but I think I think it became more viable to play Kroot, um with uh, chapter proof 2018. I think, and I and I, I sort of bring that up because well, there's the Vespids and there's the Kroot Carnival, you know, there's the Kroot Hounds and there's this new Kroot uh, tracker that comes with Blackstone Fortress. I'm just looking at uh, that that character's data sheet here. It's really cool he's got a concealed booby trap rule which basically uh, you know it's a concealed booby trap for your enemy to run into um but there are all these other neat kind of like the vespid sting wings which is oh it's a it's a oh word. yeah those, those are the model that's hard to find the vespids gotcha i'm pretty yeah. sure yeah yep. so these are like half insect so like half tyranid half tau insect forces they have wings and tau rifles and they look really cool yeah uh, so the the other thing I want to talk about was how lackluster the storm surge became an eighth because you can't take so apparently like you can't take drones unless it has the keyword uh, battle suit right mm. so you can't take shield drones to uh, mitigate wounds uh. so it's almost like never it, it's never appropriate to take a t- storm surge points wise over just a couple of riptides you know right, because the riptides will always be more effective and durable i never noticed that it was not considered a storm surge battle suit it's battle suit it's just the kv-128 storm surge it's not actually right. a battle suit interesting so you uh like a lot of people just aren't taking them anymore and it's kind of sad that you have a lord of war that's also a really cool model great looking model yeah and it's not showing up on the table for the entire edition you know what i mean so I don't know if that's because they thought, like, maybe there's a way they were like, oh, maybe we can't make this fair to play. I don't know, <laughs> like that. But, um, yeah, because that'd be really frustrating to have to deal with, like, because people might just throw, like, 30 drones on them or whatever, and then you just have this, like, giant, um, you know, death blob. Yeah, this unkillable, mon- unkillable <laughs> monster in the middle of the, the middle of battlefield, yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure they could figure that out i don't know it just seems kind of it's a little sad that you know some of the some of the coolest models in the game fall by the wayside because the rules are you know 
little lackluster. But, yeah, you know. yeah. I'm looking at the GW site now, and I'm looking at all the things that are available for Tau. I'm enjoying this Crutox Rider, which is a Crut uh, sort of a um, mobile. Um, I don't know what you'd call it. He's just got a big shooter, big rifle on top of a, it looks like a gorilla kind of monster thing that he's riding around, a crude ox, really cool looking model there. Um, I have never seen anybody play like a really well mixed Tau army, which might be the fact that it's, might be due to the fact that it's not viable, you know, that it's not smart to play a, a blended Tau army of all of their, uh, all the all the folks that believe in the greater good, like the Crute and the Vespid. Um, most of the right. Tau that I've seen Almost. on the table is just a straight Tau, you know, a lot of battle suits, a lot of, you know, maybe a Devilfish or a Piranha, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, you almost don't see... Uh, I, 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 it's very rare that you even see the troops sometimes. You know, there are a couple players that I know that will play Fire Warriors and Pathfinders, mm. uh, but most of the time, like some of the most recent lists I've seen, it's basically just all battle suits it's interesting so, yeah it's it's like yeah. nobody ever plays the army as it was intended or as it was kind of designed to be played because it's not 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 viable points wise nor tactics wise i guess mm-hmm. yeah so I, I guess that does put them in a strange position here in uh here in eighth edition yeah especially with how important troops are in eighth you know because you need to have that objective secured i mean they've always been important right troops have always been super important but eighth is for a while, really heavily favored horde armies, right? Because they just like swarm on an objective and you can't get them off, or they do a really great job of uh, blocking charges and stuff. So um, I'm not sure why Tau troops are so uh, less favored, but you know, if you don't have something to protect your your um, heavy hitters, then it can be really um, detrimental and yeah if, yeah you need i'm sure there's you need some kind of chaff which i guess the drones plays a part of too to provide those chaff units to to stop close combat attacks you know in those first couple of turns from getting to your battle suits yep yeah and they're just more efficient at it than the fire warriors and the pathfinders so right that's probably why. lower lower pointed and more versatile because you can assign them to take wounds and you can give them plus one to all kinds of things and yeah mm-hmm. Um, the marker lights, I know, were working really uh, very strangely. So I think uh, it takes it takes quite a bit of effort to get the five marker lights onto one enemy model. That I think is another gripe of Tau players right now. And so um, I'll have more information in a couple, hopefully a couple weeks, if I can get some games in it. Um, I'd like to build up to a thousand points, kind of like your great Grey Knight army. Yeah. Um, and maybe we can uh, play some games at a thousand points together and see that, how they. That would be a really good thousand point matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Lavelle's back on the line. Lavelle, we're talking Tau in eighth edition. Uh, Carlo is getting a small kill team force together with plans on establishing a small army of Tau. Um, I had mentioned how in 7th edition, at the end of 7th, they were really powerful. A lot of people were playing them and had a lot of success with them in 7th edition, but I feel like they have kind of taken a back seat in 8th edition. They're not as popular. And we wanted to talk about why and hear some of your experiences playing against them so far in 8th edition. What do you got for us on the Tau? So I, I would say that the Tau are not as popular just because there are a lot of other good options. I think that's what we're dealing with in 8th edition. There are a lot of good options out there. The Tau, I've, I've actually played uh, 
uh, two different battles recently, uh, you know, within the last three, four months against Tao. And it was as brutal as I remembered it. Yeah. Um, it used to be if you could get across the table to them, you could roll across and, and crush them. But it's no longer that their firepower is longer. It's withering. In addition to that, there's I, I don't know why, but their battle suits are far more effective than they than I remembered them being. I, I would say that the towel is an opponent. You should not line up against the table on the other side of the table and disregard the I. I don't know if there was an actual change. Um, Carlo, you may know that. Was there a change in the way the shield drones used to work and the way that they used to be absorb hits? Because now it seems more reliable and more of a problem. Um, you know, I I have no idea how they worked in 7th, but I agree with you. It does seem like they... Uh, I don't know if it's the way that, that they turn like multi-damage into... You know, just one mortal wound. It could be that. Um, I, I would have to look at the seventh edition codex. Successful strategies that I've seen, and somebody was trying to help me out with, is even though it's it doesn't get you that far in terms of reaching your objectives, when you start attacking, when you start shooting, aim for the drones first. <laughs> Take out the drones first, because you're more likely to to um um later and as the game progressive have more headway because even after you target them they can take the wound and then they have a feel no pain so they they are they are very very effective they're very effective um you i know, would not discount them go ahead i'm wondering if they used to work like uh lookout sir worked back in seventh like if it was like the same because you used to have units in seventh like characters and stuff like that could combined units, so I don't know if they were included in the battlesuit unit, and it just acted like a lookout, sir. But now the Savior Protocol um, works differently. It's like a its own... Yeah, I think what it is, is now you shunt not the hit, but you shunt the wound. And so what happens is, first of all, you have to... And I'm, stop me if I'm wrong here, anybody. First thing you have to do is you have to hit the original model. Then you have to wound the model, and that's whittling down your, your effectiveness right there. And then after you wound the model, they can shunt the wound, I think that's how it is, into a mortal wound. Right, so you still have to wound against the higher toughness and then push it right. off. I would so, have to look at that rule just to verify, so we're not... Right. I think, and what makes that devastating, <laughs> if you hit with a last cannon... You hit with the last cannon, so you made your roll to hit against the original model. And then you wound with the last cannon. Before you roll that damage, I think that's when the shunting takes place. And then the damage would be rolled against that one, and then they can still feel no pain. And I think that's how it works. All I remember that... Oh, there's a, hold on, there's a flow chart on okay. Frontline Gaming. So, like you said, roll the hit. Through it. So you roll the hit, original model. Roll the wound that model, so let's say Riptide, right? And then... After you've wounded the Riptide, the owner of the Riptide can roll a 2-plus for Savior Protocols to go off. If they roll a 1, the original target has to roll a save and take the damage as normal. Uh, if, if they roll a 2-up, the damage is converted to one mortal wound, and then they can roll a feel-no-pain on the drones if they have one. So, which That's I think pretty will, effective. Yeah, it's really effective. So if you shoot them with a LAS cannon or something like that, 
they convert, and you roll a six for damage, it's just converted to one mortal wound, and then the drone can make one mortal wound save. You know? So I think, I think like, um, that's why, like, you, when you play against Tau, you have to kill the drones first, and you have to target the drones. So it kind of... Carlo, I think I need to correct you on, on just the, your sequence that you just did there. So you shoot the last cannon at a, at a riptide, and mm-hmm. you, you make your hit roll. Okay, mm-hmm. and then that last cannon has to roll to wound. Correct. And so before you roll the d6 on the last cannon, you can shunt the wound. And if you shunt successfully, just shunt it. You're not going to roll a d6. Correct. Just, it's just going to reduce what could have been six damage to one mortal wound, which can be feel no pain against. Right. Yeah. Yep. I, it creates a. a, a I don't want to do the math. It's too early. In, but it creates a mathematical funnel that makes it increases survivability. It's pretty good, pretty good. What uh, what point level games have you played against the Tower recently, Lavelle? Two thousand. Oh, okay. So it was a big game. All right. Yeah, I, I don't mess around with anything less than seventeen fifty. Yeah, you're you're big. You're 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 a big player. Yep, you go big. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, right now today is is uh, the twenty first. I have a three thousand point game this evening. Um, I'm probably going to be playing an Eldar Dark Eldar combination, probably Yanari, um, against 3,000 points of Custodes. Where are you playing? Um, I'm playing in Gamers Heaven. I keep 3,000 points of Custodes packed and ready to go at any time in case the Emperor calls. <laughs> that was a Section 3 tactical upload. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back with From the Stacks. Stay with us. Section four, from the stacks. We're talking about books in this section. Uh, we're going to start, uh, Lavelle, Carlo, and I are going to start reading the same short story or books, starting with episode 25, and we're going to have more of a, a book club-style discussion as opposed to what's, as opposed to how we normally do it, which is each of us talking about whatever we happen to be reading related to the hobby. Uh, just to make the conversation a little bit more fluid, we're going to try that next episode, so stay tuned for that. And wait, our first... our to be the Imperium is from Earth and the Mechanicum from Mars. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would the Inquisition equivalent of Eat, Pray, or what's that, like, Hope, Pray, Love? What is that, what, like, that, that self-help book? Uh, what would right. The, what would the Inquisition version of that be? We've got to work on that. Okay. Burn, burn, burn. That's it, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited for this episode because I'm, I'm – stoked to be talking about The Night Lord's Omnibus. This is by Aaron Dembski-Bowden. My friend TJ suggested I read this. It's a massive book. I'm almost done with it. I have it in front of me here. It's 932 pages. uh, 937 pages. It's huge. It is three novels plus some short stories mixed up. The novels are Soul Hunter, Blood Reaver, and Void Stalker. I didn't know much about the Night Lords. I knew they were I knew where they were from. I knew their Primark, of course, from the thirty K novels, but didn't know much about them in the forty K setting, like what they've been up to since the heresy. This omnibus is amazing. It is a total page turner. 
really, really interesting. I've been sawing through it. It's 900 some odd pages, but I've, I've been like looking forward. I, I love reading at night and I love like, you know, having dinner and like hanging out and doing stuff in the evening and then like getting excited to like read before bed. This is that kind of book where you're like, yeah, the day is going to be awesome because I get to end it checking out what happens to Talos and the rest of the Night Lords as they're cruising across the galaxy causing trouble for the Imperium. The, um, it covers a lot of ground in terms of this deals with Abaddon is in here in the first book. It really showcases how, even though Abaddon is you know heir apparent to Horus, he's not really a central leader of the traitor space marines, right? He has the largest army, but he's not a great leader of the anti-imperium forces. Each of these uh, traitor chapters, traitor legions, are really divided war bands. In, in the, the Night Lord's Omnibus, they talk about Sevatar, how he took control after the Primarch had died of the Night Lords. And then after Sevatar died, the, uh, the Night Lords really split, really fractured into these very small war bands. Uh, and while Abaddon has been able to gather a bunch of those war bands under his umbrella, he by no means has all of them. And this books, these books really showcase also how traitor legions spend as much time fighting each other than they do the Imperium or Xenos or whatever. They really they don't get along at all, which is kind of interesting to read. Their motivations might be similar, but they are by no means allies in all cases. The uh, I also like it when Black Library and things set in the 40k setting focus on humans, focus on the people who are on these ships and the circumstances that got them there and what makes a... When you're kidnapped by traitor space marines and you have a function, you know, it's a moral quandary. You either fulfill that function on the ship or they kill you. They, uh, you know, what is that What is that like? And these books go into a, a couple of humans that are very close to this Night Lord's leader who, uh, named Talos, who they call the Prophet. He has this ability to see the future where he goes into this kind of comatose, trance-like state, and he can see events that haven't happened yet. But he has this, this group of human uh, you know, servants. He has, an, he has an artificer doing his armor stuff. He has a navigator that he's friendly with, etc. Uh, but the relationship between the traitor, lead, the traitor space marines and the humans that have to serve them is really central to these three books, and I, I love that part of it. Can't recommend it enough. I'm not a, you know, not a Night Lord's player. Not a, you know, not a chaos space marine player but this the way that this book is set up and the way that aaron dembski bowden puts these stories together into these three novels is just just awesome and i'm looking forward to getting to the end uh, there's a really great section where uh, it talks about how you know of course time flows differently in the warp and for some of these traitor space marine legions the horse heresy happened like Two years ago, for others, the Horus Heresy happened tens of thousands of years ago. That's, I thought that was really interesting. There's a leader of the Night Lords in here that's possessed by a demon. We've uh, we've we've read stories like about that before, but this one was really interesting about the struggle between the human, what's left of the human inside the body, and the demon that is inhabiting that body that has possessed that body, and that struggle was really really cool to read. And he sets it up in a really interesting way. It's just a just a pleasure to read, a real page turner. Can't recommend it enough. That's The Night Lord's Omnibus by Aaron Dembski Bowden. That's almost a thousand pages of fun right there. So, guys, what have you been reading? I'm going to go first. First of all, the first thing I want to let everybody know you know, I do a lot of driving, a lot of traveling for work, so I use audibles a lot. 
I, I don't know when it happened. It couldn't have been more than a month ago. But now black library books are available on Audible, which is absolutely incredible. Um, so if you have an Audible or Amazon account or Audible, you know, check it out. Look, at, look for your favorite book there. I just finished Watchers of the Throne, The Emperor's Legion. So after the, um, the Master of Mankind, now I can't get enough book on the custodies. This book occurs um, just as the, the big corn invasion of uh, the Imperial homeworld occurs. And it takes place all in there. It's really, really good. It tells the story of uh, a high-level ranking officer, and uh, not officer, but administrator in the administratum one shield captain and one of the sisters of silence and it wraps in the return of reboot it is really really good i would highly recommend it um i started listening to it as i often do and it was so good i ran out and got the paper book back because i i usually listen when i'm driving and i couldn't wait i needed to read during the day nice <laughs> that was really really good so watchers of the throne this by chris rate w-r-a-i-g-h-t how does the how does the Audible subscription work with regards to Black Library books? Do you pay more for those no. books? No, it's like really in- it's really sweet. Like yeah. the free token. Yep. It, yep. So, in addition to that, you know, a book generally costs you um, about the cost of, I guess, a hardback. It might be anywhere between seventeen and twenty dollars. But if you have an account, you get one free every month. But they have short stories in there that are just a little bit. And so, what, if, like, if I'm driving to Pittsburgh, if I know I'm going to be in the car in a while, I'll make sure I download a, a decent book to listen to. I have also, and I'm going to recommend this to you, whether you read it or get the, the, the audio book. This is specifically for you, Tim. The Calculus of Battle by David Geimer. I've read it. I love that one. Yep. It's a short story. <laughs> it's a great I, short story. Yeah. Uh, the Iron Hands, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It was really, really good. That's a great it was one. Really good. Yeah. That was um last year around the holidays, Black Library had done like a short story every couple of days, like a subscription thing, and that was one of them. That is a great short story and it really showcases how the how uh math driven and analytical the iron hands are about battle and what sacrifices they're willing to make if the math doesn't add up that's a really great story yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like that well i've done this calculation let's go yep that's a, that's a great story yeah <laughs> you know one thing that's unique about black library and so you have to be careful there are audio books and there are audio dramas um and an audio drama is kind of like a an audio play it's not just like somebody reading the book and it has more special effects. Yes, there's sound, really, there's sound really effects, good. there's characters and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Carlo, what about you? Have you read anything recently that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, nothing 40K related. I, I mean, so I finally burned through. I was on a Halo stint and I listened to like seven and read like 17 Halo audiobooks in a row. So I'm going to try and move back to 40K. So I can be more interesting in the podcast now that I've fed, <laughs> scratched that itch, you know. I had no idea so, there was any narrative set in the Halo universe. Oh, it's Absolutely. excellent. Absolutely, yeah. yep. It's one of the best. It's one of my favorite um, universes, actually. There's a lot of really interesting stuff that happens. Um, I think, I don't want to get too far into it because this is a Warhammer podcast. But um, the uh, a lot of people don't know that there's like more than one Spartan and that there's this whole program designed to train them. And, you know, um, there's a lot of really interesting, um, like, so like initially, uh, Dr. Halsey, which is the per- like one of the person who sets up 
the program, you know, she goes around that the, the uh, organization called ONI, um, which is the uh, uh, in- intelligence program for the the um, Naval Space Force uh, UNSC or whatever it's called, and uh, they are going around and basically kidnapping children and replacing them with flash clones so that they can. And it's like the top point oh 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 one percent of children in the galaxy. Um, including the earth and all the colonies that they've set up and everything. Um, they're, they're like the best physically, mentally, all that stuff, uh, natural talent, you know, luck. Um, and they, they've kidnapped and replaced all those children. And those are the children used for the Spartan project. So it goes, the books start there and then they move through, um, you know, the, the reach encounter. Um, Cause humans like the Spartans were originally designed to fight insurrectionists, human colonies and then they accidentally came across the covenant um uh, alien forces and that's when that battle breaks out and it covers all that covers uh stories going further and further back to the precursors the, the living races that you know created and uh um the forerunners that you know maintained uh, the mantle which is like this um ethical um, domain over the universe, right? So, like this ethical dominance. So, uh, they also have something called the domain, which is like a um, organism of all stored knowledge in the universe, and they are able to interact with it. The forerunners. So it's really interesting. It's like a, a living database that they integrate with. So it's, there's a lot of really interesting stuff, and I'm probably not doing a great service of explaining it, but it's really great. Uh, series to get into but i finally kind of finished up um, where i want to be in it and i think i'm going to come back and check out some black library novels on audible this week because i you know i don't really don't get a chance to read that much with my schedule but i do have time i have a long commute so i can listen to audiobooks in the car um which i want to get back to the really great thing about audible is not only do you get that free token every month but for I think it's Lavelle. They do like a special, and it's always going. I feel like I've never not seen it. Where you buy three tokens for thirty bucks. That's so any book, right? So like a token gets you a book. It doesn't matter what the cost of the book is, and each token being ten dollars. Some of the Black Library novels are like twenty to forty dollars on Audible. So you can really save some money if you if you're burning through books. So next episode we will let's let's pick a Black Library audiobook to listen to as a group and we'll chat about that uh, through the audible app uh, we'll listen to it through, the, through audible we'll do that for um, next month's episode and we'll read something we'll read a short story and chat about that next episode too we'll do our our book club from the stacks in episode 25 so do look forward to that listeners we'll take hey a- how about wait how about we also announce uh make some suggestions for us for the following episode let us know what books you think we should read and review Great idea. Great idea. And with that, we'll take a short break. We'll come back and we will wrap up the show. And we're back. We're going to wrap up the show with The Chosen, where we pick our favorite thing related to the hobby and we share it with you, our audience. I'll start. 
I treated myself to something that was sitting in my Amazon cart for like over a year. I, I kept trying to buy it at a brick and mortar store, but everywhere I went, nobody had one. And what I'm talking about is the Citadel Moldline Remover. I think it was $17. And just as I found with the Citadel, uh, the cutters, the nippers, it's actually a very nicely made piece of hobby equipment. It's nice because instead of like an exacto blade for removing mold lines and cleaning up models, uh, which is a, a you know of course an exacto blade is a perfectly flat line, the mold line remover has this gradual curve to it, and it's made of such a hard, dense metal that it's not very sharp to the touch, but it really does a nice job of not flattening out a rounded surface while you're removing you know a bit of sprue that's left behind or a mold line. Uh, it's seventeen dollars well spent. Really liked it. It seems it's a seventeen dollar exacto blade that doesn't cut essentially, but uh, it feels good in the hand. It's got a nice weight to it. It looks nice in my little tray next to the Citadel uh, clippers, which I also really enjoy using. They are super sharp and do have a really nice uh, fine uh, flat surface to uh, to snip next to a model when removing it from the sprue. So the Citadel mold line remover gets a big thumbs up from me. Also, I wanted to give a shout out. Um, we we talk about a lot of games here, despite the fact that this is a 40k podcast. I just received my book from the most recent Kickstarter pledge related to Relic Blade, which is a game by Metal King Studios. A guy named Sean Sutter makes this game. Uh, it's awesome. It's super small model count. It's model agnostic, so you don't have to use his iron, his uh, pewter models, his metal models that he ships out. You can use any models with it. The uh, He just released an update book. It's like a campaign system related to the game and a bunch of new models. Received into the mail. A lovely package. Uh, new decks of cards came with it. He's really interesting because he posts his workshop as basically his big two-car garage, and he, he shows the whole process of how he gets the models in and bags them up and ships them out. I'm bringing it up in this podcast because he went so far as to draw an illustration draw an illustration inside the front cover of the hardback campaign book for every person that bought it through the Kickstarter. And not only a little illustration, but and I don't know if this was accidental, I'm going to say it wasn't because he probably has a database. It's an illustration of the army that I play in the game, which is like these war pig kind of things, these like crazy boars with axes. How cool is that? It was a little thanks, Tim. Really an, cool. With an illustration of one of my boar uh, warriors, my war pigs, in there. It was, I thought it was just awesome. So a shout out to Metal King Studios. Uh, this game, Relic Blade, super easy to play, super fun to pick up. Really great. Uh, do check it out if you haven't uh, played. Oh, we have to. Speaking of Relic Blade, we have to post some of uh, Matt Lechtenberg's Woo! pictures because I just looked at some. Oh my god, he sent me some pictures of stuff that he had painted recently. It was ridiculous. There was like this. Yeah, there's this one dude with uh, two axes, and he had this green. Um, I don't know what it was. Like it's kind of like like a jade color stone on his back, right? And I don't know what you would call that, but it was this grizzled guy, two axes, that jade stone, and he. Uh, it just the way that he painted that, it made it look like a real, a real gemstone. Which, you know, a lot of times there are tricks you can do to make things look like gemstones, especially on the smaller GW models. It's a little, it's easier to do, but th- this was like a whole, you know, like a third of the model he had painted. And it, it was amazing. 
Yeah, his work is great. He and I are going to do a campaign uh, based on this new book that we just both had just gotten from the Kickstarter. So I'm pretty stoked about that one. Yeah. Uh, what else do you guys have for The Chosen? Feel free. Lavelle, why don't you go? Yeah, I want to talk about, uh, you know, I've never really, you know, I've been playing 40K for years. But I've never really been into White Dwarf. I picked up a mecha, uh, episode, uh, a, um, you know, a magazine here and there. I have this. Uh, I got a subscription because I didn't want to miss a particular book. And after I got that book, and it was the one with the assassins, I intended to cancel, and I never did. And it has been amazing. Look, the, the White Dwarf book is not just good to read, good models. It has more depth, and it changes the way you play multiple games in this edition and this is the edition that just came out what is this the june edition there is a bunch of stuff for all of their games some some new um armies there's a mini codex if you will a mini army book for the demons of slanesh and all of that's good but here is the thing there is a new scenario in the book for the uh blackstone fortress so if you have Blackstone Fortress, this is relates to the 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 um the dreaded amble, it that expansion. And so it's got a new scenario in here. But the thing that really, really knocked me off my seat, because I play a lot of 40k. There is a new Maelstrom of War game in here called Schemes of War. And I read through it. It's only what is this, two pages. But these two pages can increase your enjoyment of the game. What you do is you construct a deck of 18 tactical cards, and you draw five cards, and you can play three of them. It's just, and, and they've got some specific stratagems where you can reprioritize, you can change your objectives, you can look at your deck and read, um, that's two command points. You can tactical foresight, you can look at your cards and, um, and reorder them. Or you can, this is another one, you know, you have a discard pile because you only have 18 objectives. You can, uh, you can you, for one command point, determine push. You can take the cards that you discarded and reshuffle back into your deck. It focuses your tactical deck so that you have 18 cards in there that you're going to play because you know what's in there. It's, it's, it's a really different way. When I play the game, I am, I'm more of a narrative player in that I like, I know a lot of players just like the mechanics of the game and they min-max things and they, they, they just strictly deal with the math of the game. I like to tell a story. That's why I like to read the books that, uh, that tell the background story of my army. And I like to play, if I'm playing Custodes, I don't I want to win, but I don't build a Custodes army that's going to crush. I build a Custodes army that thematically and in the lore you would see on the field. Like I could do don't ask me why I can do this, but I could do all dreadnoughts. But you, <laughs> no, let's not discuss it. Don't ask me why I'm able to do that. I can, but so, you would never see that. To yeah. be fair, can you build a custodies army that doesn't crush? You can build the custodies <laughs> army that, from the very beginning, from turn two, you'll be on the back foot and have to fight back. But I myself cannot build an <laughs> army that does not crush. I've heard of it. <laughs> In the uh, ancient halls of lore, they're told that there are those who can, but not me. 
So I, I want to tell you that the, there's a lot of value in White Dwarf. And if you've been reading White Dwarf and collecting it for a while, take a little bit of time to kind of uh, go back and review it. And I find that, you know, when I go to play, I'm often taking my army book, my, um, my rule book, and a copy of the White Dwarf that's going to impact the game. Um, I, I would tell you to make sure you check it out. If you don't buy it, if you don't have a subscription, at least check someone else's out, look at it, and see if it's got value. It's incredible value, and it can change the way you play. You know what I like about those are that they have a very weighty feel to them as a magazine. This thing is like, it's almost like a book, you know, the way, how heavy it is and how well constructed it is. Like, it's not made on cheap. Like, if you go buy a People magazine, you know, it's made out of that, like, really crappy, like, like very thin, easily destroyed paper. But the White Dwarfs hold up really well over time like you can maintain a collection of them and not worry about them getting like really like crumpled up while reading them right and yeah. i travel with mines i travel with mines they go in my backpack it is a very well produced uh, periodical that's for sure yeah carla what about you what do you got to share with us hmm i'm gonna have to say my buddies my buddies this week and i'll tell you why not because i didn't prepare anything for this segment which is Ongoing <laughs> theme, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, no uh, you know, I, I think so. This week, I've had a lot of help from my friends in the hobby, like Tim. I, you know, Tim and I hung out the other day. Uh, we painted a little bit together and we got some lunch. And Tim gave me a, a bunch of tips on like highlighting pieces of my armor with you know, create, creating my own glazes, um, which I've been kind of messing around with. Um, our buddy Sasha Alex, uh, he uh, I've been working with him on lists and our buddy grant too, like kind of shooting ideas off of their heads and i've come up with a really well constructed list for i think the next tournament uh so like a lot of i think in this hobby like a lot of times it's really it's really fortunate to have good friends that play with you and that you could bounce ideas off of and that, that you can learn from i think that's obviously it's not like a product but you know i think it's an aspect of our hobby that's something that you know we uh we're lucky to have so um i agree 100 percent. i want to add one other thing about the white dwarf in the white dwarf there is a section on playing kill teams in the blackstone fortress right and they've got several missions it's called the dead the section is called the deadliest missions and they've got several missions several kill team missions in the magazine, in the White Dwarf, specifically designed for fighting in the Blackstone Fortress. Let's end the episode with some housekeeping. Uh, we are going to do a Funko Pop painting competition contest. Uh, so shoot us a note uh, via the Facebook page or Instagram. We are at Crew Shaken in both places. We will pick uh, five uh, five listeners here who are based in the United States because shipping overseas gets really expensive really fast. Sorry, everybody else across the pond and elsewhere. Uh, but if you're in the continental U.S. and you'd like to paint a 40K-themed Funko Pop and be featured on our Facebook page, uh, do shoot us a note. We'll pick uh, five and we'll five randomly and send them out, and we'll do a contest to paint them. You know, we'll, we'll say maybe September or something, we'll, we'll show the results, give everybody plenty of time to get into their Funko Pop painting. Yeah, let us know what your idea is for it, too, because I'd like to, to kind of see you know, what your, 
you're used to painting, so we can maybe get a Funko Pop of different styles. You know, great idea. Yep, get a, great idea. Good. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, you know, let me let me just remind everybody on um, June the twenty third. I'm sorry, twenty second and twenty third is the uh, the big uh, tournament down at Red Caps. The what the name escapes me. Say somebody. Liberty remember. Hammer. Liberty Hammer. Liberty Hammer. It's That's tomorrow and Sunday. Tomorrow and Sunday. Tomorrow and yeah, Sunday. Yeah. So by the time this podcast release, you will it will have been a. Over. No, I'm, but, I'm, I'm putting this. But, on, I'm putting this. I'm putting this on air today. So this is going to be up. Are you today. getting it on blast, Tim? It's You're getting it on blast. It's going to be up right away. As soon as we're done here, I'm going to bounce the bounce the file and put it on the server. So, <laughs> so, just, so, so if you hear this Friday night, you might still be able to register for Liberty Hammer tomorrow or Sunday. Sunday is the double. There are spots yeah, open. There are spots yeah, and open. Sunday, yeah. Tim and I will be there. Yep. And and Tim, are you going to the Summer Slaughter? Yes, up I am, at I am, Seven. I am registered. How much you guys slaughter? charging for autographs this time? Um, it depends on what time you ask us. If it's again, it's the beginning of the day. Autographs. Is if it's after we've lost a few games, you know. Yeah, they, they get cheaper. They get, they get cheaper. We'll pay you by yeah. the end of the day. That's cheaper. how it normally works. They get cheaper as it goes. Yeah. But I think right now all three of us are at Summer Slaughter. Yes. Yep. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Correct. We're going to be in the losers bracket, fighting each other for the. Fighting each other for the last <laughs> The Grey Knights, the Grey Knights are going to crush at Summer Slaughter. I can tell you. Oh my god! I don't know if you saw the roster of that, but it's all like a lot of players are like, like Nova winners. Nice. Uh, uh, what's the other one? The Vegas. Oh, uh, what's the Las Vegas one called? LVO. LVO. Yeah. LVO. There's an LVO winner in there, so it's like it's going to be some stiff competition. So. Um, Burr, burr, burr. Let me tell you, burr, burr, Summer Slaughter, <laughs> the guys at um, Basement Warhammer, Basement War Games, they have a good mix. But in general, if you're going to Red Caps, we, there's a good mix of Red Caps, but you're going to get more narrative play, more thematic play. At Summer Slaughter, I mean, I, at, at the guys at Basement War Games, by and large, those guys are hardcore competitors. They're, they're yep. great guys. They're fun guys. They're very educational. I kind of put out the Sam, Sean, all of those guys up there. They do a great job. Max. But, Max. Yep. For sure. But, uh, you know, their attitude is awesome. And I know we've said it like 10 million times this podcast and other episodes, but they have really like some of the great best personalities of gamers I've encountered in Warhammer. So if you can get over to that tournament and you know see how they run things, if you're in the area, like I definitely recommend it. There are still spots available for Summer Slaughter. Yes, you can still register for that and get in on the action. Also, uh, do leave us a review on Facebook or on iTunes or on any of the platforms that you listen to this podcast through. We appreciate hearing from you. We appreciate your feedback and uh we take it seriously. We make changes to the show on a regular basis based on what we hear from our listeners. So do reach out to us, send us a note, or leave us a review. We do appreciate it. We're working on getting some really comprehensive, robust battle reports out to you guys. You know, we want to keep interest in the podcast week to week. Um, I know we, you know, we try to hit the the month to month deadline of getting a podcast out, but in the meantime. Uh, we're going to try and get a, a battle bat rep out to you guys every, every week. So we're working in the process of, uh, you know, maybe getting a camera, trying to iron out the details of how we want to present these. Um, but in the next couple months, you should see those being published. So keep an eye out on our Facebook and our Instagram, and we'll let you know when they come out. With that, thank you for listening to episode 24 of Crew Shaken. For Crew Shaken, I have been Tim. I'm Lavelle. And I'm Carlo. Thanks for listening. 
We'll see you next time.